Hello everyone. Thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the next lesson in our series, Back to the Basics, a study of the gospel. We have seen several things about the gospel over the last several weeks, and so allow me a moment to remind you of what we've learned. First, the gospel story is God's story spoken into a broken world. Jesus entered a world that was torn apart by race, religion, elitism, social and political constructs. It was a hard and difficult place where the heart of God had been completely lost. But Jesus spent time with those who were ignored and broken, given, giving them a place within the kingdom of God and telling them that God had a home for them. And all were welcome at his table. Secondly, we've seen that the gospel story is alive. It needs to interact with someone's life in order to reach the fullness of what it is. And we saw that in a couple of examples. The woman at the well who was there in the middle of the day too ashamed of her own life story to want to tell anyone about it. She met Jesus that particular day and she left the well proclaiming that her life story would not be held against her anymore because she had met the Savior. And Zacchaeus, who had made a living lying and stealing from his people. No one liked him, and they certainly didn't respect him, but Jesus invited himself into the home of Zacchaeus. He invited himself into the mess that was Zacchaeus' life. And by the end of the day, Zacchaeus had turned himself around and was restored to God and to his people. So we see the gospel have an enormous effect on those who need their story to be changed. And when the gospel takes hold, the person is never the same. Thirdly, we have seen that the gospel story is a love story. It is the story of a God who is in love with his people and will do anything he can to restore them back into relationship with him. It's the story of the God who saw his children run away from him and watched for them every day to return, running out to greet them and restore them when they would come back home. And that story is our story. It is God telling the story of how he sent Jesus to the world to save the world through our lives. We share with others this story of God's love because we have experienced his great love and goodness in our own lives. But you know as well as I do that a story told is not as powerful as a story lived or experienced. And we touched on this a little bit last week. We can tell others that God loves them. We can tell them of the great love that God has for us, but they need to experience the gospel in their own lives in order for it to become a life-changing event. Jesus told the story, but he also lived the story out in the lives of those he encountered. He touched and he healed. He invited and he loved he showed through his actions and the way that he treated others that God had a place for them, that they belonged within the kingdom of God. 
And moreover than that, that God wanted them, desired them as his children to be in relationship with him. And the thing about Jesus is, it's as the way that he treated people was as important as what he said to them. Because Jesus did not just speak the gospel, he displayed the gospel in relationship with others. Which tells us this very important lesson for us today. The gospel story was never meant to be simply spoken. It was meant to be lived out. Now, we have proof of this all over the scriptures. And what we see from the Gospel of Matthew, for example, is that the gospel story has to be lived out in order to take effect. It's a requirement. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 36 and 40 through 45. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And he replies to that group in verse 40, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. This parable depicts the end times where the people who are coming before God are told whether they belong to him or not. And this passage is such an overwhelming one to me. I have preached on it a few times. I've drawn it into a couple of different lessons. But every time I talk about this, something new stares me in the face. And here's what I see in this passage today. Believing is not enough. What you think about something is not enough. What you say is not enough. You have to live the gospel out. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. This is not a works discussion as though we can earn our salvation with God through doing good works. Salvation is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. It's not a works discussion, but it is a discussion about what the effect is that the gospel has on you. And it is clear that Jesus believes the gospel is going to change how you treat and take care of other people. To put it bluntly, 
you will take care of those who are otherwise overlooked and helpless. This is the effect that the gospel has on you, and this shows that the gospel has taken root and that you belong to God. I think this is important for us because we have a tendency to want to make the gospel story an individual exercise. This is about me and my salvation and what God is doing in me. But this parable makes it clear that you are showing that the gospel did not really affect you because you are not taking the gospel out into the world and therefore you do not belong to the gospel. On the other hand, taking the gospel into the world shows that it has an amazing effect on you and that you belong to God. This is the way that God knows you. And how is this done, this taking of the gospel to the world? Well, he lists all these things. You feed the hungry, you give water to the thirsty, you invite the stranger in, you clothe those without, you look after the sick, and you visit those in prison, just to name a few things. And if you think about the kind of person that does all of these things, what kind of person is this? Well, it's someone who thinks of others first, who seeks out ways to show the love of God to others it is someone who loves and cares for other people, especially those who are overlooked. The gospel is a love story that has to be lived out. And it is lived out in the way that we treat others, not just in the way that God loves us. And if we keep that to ourselves, then when we get to the end where we are divided up, we have gained nothing from saying we believe in the gospel. But if we say we believe in the gospel and we have taken the love of God to those who are overlooked and mistreated, then we belong to him. What happens when some message besides the gospel takes priority? If the gospel says that God loves and forgives and saves, what happens when something else creeps in there? Let's call it creating a gospel plus or gospel and or gospel but. When we create those kinds of messages, we take away from what the gospel really is. And in the book of Galatians, Paul makes it very clear that anything that changes the gospel, anyone who changes the gospel is deserving of a curse from God. And this has happened in a myriad of different ways, even in our own history. Uh, we once believed that people who used instruments in worship were in danger of the fires of hell. We don't think that anymore, but at some point, that teaching gained an equality of sorts with the gospel itself. Jesus wants to save you, but if you use an instrument... Now, let's look deeper into our history, particularly at the issues of race. Now, I am sure that we can all agree right now in this moment that slavery was wrong and shouldn't have happened. And we can get into a million discussions about why it did and all these different sorts of things. So we can agree it's wrong, but our movement has not always taken this stance. 
And Wes Crawford has written several good articles about this in Wineskin Magazine. So some of the information I'm sharing with you today comes from him. Now, I don't know how much church history you know, but our particular movement, the Churches of Christ, uh, were started by two different men, Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone. And they brought their two movements together on January 1st, 1832. The later, they later divided into the Churches of Christ, which were led by Campbell, and the Christian Church slash Disciples of Christ, which were led by Barton Stone. And there were some fundamental differences between them when they split. Uh, by the time of the American Civil War, members of the Stone-Campbell movement, of which Churches of Christ, again, were a part, held more slaves per capita than any other religious group in America, which tells you that their stance on slavery was not really looking to change anything. When the Disciples of Christ and churches of Christ uh, split apart in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, roughly 90% of the churches of Christ movements were in the South. And therefore, churches of Christ uh, supported uh, things like Jim Crow segregation, uh, just like a lot of other churches in the South did at that time. Now, Alexander Campbell himself did not support slavery, yet he did not also pursue its eradication. So the question that we might have is if Campbell disagreed with slavery, why then did he not join the abolitionists to fight for its demise? And there are a couple of reasons. First, Campbell did not view slavery as a moral issue. Like many of his contemporaries and many future generations, Campbell viewed slavery and the racism that undergirded it as problems within society, but not against the law of God. In fact, his lengthy series on slavery in the Millennial Harbinger, which was a newspaper that he published, Campbell regularly pointed out that the Bible nowhere condemned slavery. And many have used Paul's words about slaves and masters as a justification for this. A second reason for Campbell's reluctance to take a stronger stand against slavery uh, concerns his position as a leader of a unity movement. One of the things that the Churches of Christ were so, I don't know, happy about during the Civil War was that they didn't split like other churches, Presbyterian, Methodist, and so on and so forth, had split. And so in taking a middle position between abolitionists and proponents of slavery, Campbell hoped to hold the movement together. So he wanted to stay in this middle ground so he never really spoke up against it. But there is a third reason why Campbell didn't take up a stand against slavery, and that was Campbell was a racist. In one article in particular, Campbell wrote, as much as I sympathize with the black man, I love the white man more. I think what he was trying to say was, I don't think slavery is great, and it would be wonderful if the black man could get out of it, but..." I'm more with white people, I like them more, so there you go. This idea was built on a common idea of the time where people did not view black people as equal to white-skinned people, and that position built on the racist ideology of black inferiority held Campbell back from strongly advocating 
for the end of slavery. In the mid-20th century, in the mid-20th century, colleges operated by Churches of Christ were among the last education institutions in America to abide by the Supreme Court's mandate to desegregate, some waiting close to a decade after Brown versus Board of Education in 1955. And even today, at some of our Church of Christ universities, such as Abilene, there are discussions over what certain buildings are named because some of the people that helped found those universities were clearly racist in their agendas. Even in the early decades of the 21st century, many members of Churches of Christ continue to view racism and its effects as a political, not a moral concern. And their argument would be, don't bring politics into the pulpit, just preach the word. In short, Churches of Christ and their handling of race have behaved much like other Southern, predominantly white Christian denominations. Now, let me clear a couple of things up. My point is not that Campbell didn't understand the gospel, but it is clear that his unwillingness to stand against slavery and his views on black people are not consistent with what I think the gospel says to us. But what does this matter to us today as a church? Is it really relevant that that's what our past was like? I mean, we didn't make those decisions. We didn't make those choices, but whether we like it or not, our movement has not historically stood up and spoken out against slavery or racism. It's just a fact. And it is no longer good enough for us to say that, well, you know, but we live in California and it's racism really isn't a problem. And if recent times have shown us anything, it's that racism is a problem everywhere and exists in ways that many of us have probably not recognized or wanted to recognize. So the question that we have to ask ourselves right now is what should our voice be? Does it matter what we do and say and stand up for now? And should we speak into these things? And my answer to you is yes, unequivocally yes. Because racism is not a political issue. It is a gospel issue. It is not enough for us to sit back and refuse to speak into injustice where injustice is happening. Jesus has already showed us that the gospel has to be lived out. We must actively love. God also desires for us to raise our voices when we encounter prejudice and justice. And racism is a problem in our country. And, and I know that things are scary right now, but that is in large part because many of us in this room are white and our understanding of ourselves and our world is quickly crumbling. Now we can be afraid of that changing understanding and want to bury our heads behind things we think we haven't done or the way that we don't think things really are. But there's an important question we have to answer when it comes to racism. Do we believe that racism is a sin or do we believe it is a political issue? And, and the answer to that question matters so much right now because if we believe that racism is a political issue, then it's easy to write off the things that we are hearing and seeing as that being on this side or this being on that side. And we will be swayed by voices from whoever we choose to listen to. But if racism is a sin, 
which I believe it is, then it becomes a kingdom issue. If it goes against the gospel, then we are expected by God to stand up and to speak the truth of the gospel that God loves all people into this space where people are being mistreated. What does the gospel speak into these social situations then? Well, you know, I've seen this verse popping up in several different conversations on Facebook and other places. It's Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, many churches have taken this verse as kind of a value statement during this time, and the message is wonderful. But the context of the verse really matters. And what God says he wants here is just as important as what God doesn't say he wants. Here's what I mean. God, at the time of this writing, had rejected his people because they had gotten so far away from him. They were treating others poorly. They were treating uh, one another poorly. They were treating uh, um, aliens poorly. They weren't taking care of their widows and children. They had left the ways of God. And Micah acknowledged something interesting that we need to hear, that there was no act of worship that could set things straight. There, were, there was no sacrifice. They, thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil would not cover how far away it was that the people had traveled from God. And so the question is then asked, what is it that God wants? And the answer is God wants his people to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. Doing justice is a way of loving mercy, which in turn is a manifestation of walking humbly with God. Those things are all tied together. The gospel is not and cannot be contained within the walls of a building. It is much bigger than that. The gospel is not even about going to church or doing the right things while you are here. The gospel is about doing justice and loving mercy. That you cannot put enough mercy out there as you walk humbly with your God. And this is what God wants. And it tells us something about God. God hates it when his people are a people of injustice. He, he cannot stand it when those who are his not only foster injustice amongst themselves, but when they refuse to speak up into and against the injustice that they see. There is no room for injustice within the kingdom of God. There is no room for hatred, oppression, racism, or anything else that comes between the love of God and one of his children. And as people of the gospel, it is our job to take that love of God into the world and to introduce it to those who do not know it. Because we are hearing from people all over the country, all over the world, that they have been oppressed. 
And our response should not be, no, you are not oppressed. Our response should be, but God loves you and wants to know you. If we are going to be people of the gospel, then the story is not about our salvation. It has to be about taking the gospel to the world, about actively loving those who are disenfranchised and without hope, about releasing those who are oppressed, about showing them the way that God loves and cares for them. And we should not waste our time trying to explain why things are the way they are or why a certain viewpoint is wrong. This is a broken world. Of course things are wrong. But we are people of the gospel, which means that we have to listen to the voices that are crying out against injustice. And we need to speak the truth of the gospel to them. That God sent his son to this place to save the world. That whoever believes in Jesus will not have their faults held against them, but will be given new life in Christ. May we be a people of the gospel and take this message to the world. Join us next week where we talk about why the gospel makes us confront ourselves and do uncomfortable things. I hope today has been a blessing to you. May God speak the truth of the gospel to your heart that you may speak the truth of the gospel, show the truth of the gospel, live the truth of the gospel in this world. See you next time.